And welcome or welcome back from wherever and whenever you're listening. This is Season 1, Episode 6 of My Guest List Pod, The Interview Shows. I'm Darren, and if you're new to the show, this is how it works. Each episode, I invite a guest creator onto the show, and we count down a top 10 list in a topic of their choice. Along the way, we take breaks and ask them questions to delve a little deeper into their world and get to know them and their work a little better. If you'd like to get in contact with me or submit suggestions, ideas, or your own top 10 for the show, you can get in touch at my guest list pod pretty much everywhere you look. All the links are also in the show notes each week, so you can check there as well. If you'd like to review the show, go to my Love the Podcast link that will automatically display the review platforms available to you on your device. It's a nifty little extra that is part of the package when you sign up at mypodcastreviews.com. My Podcast Reviews aggregates all your ratings and reviews from a number of sources and all the individual countries' iTunes pages and displays them for you in one place, much easier than checking through them one by one yourself. Go check out mypodcastreviews.com and I'd be grateful if you could please use my affiliate link when you join to let them know who sent you. So today I'm chatting with a very personable guy from the Big Apple. Sean Lyons and I had been talking about doing a show for quite a while but it wasn't until January that we could both work our schedules together. Luckily, we were able to work it out as this episode was both fun to do and even more fun to listen back to when I was editing. Sean was a brilliant guest and made the episode a pleasure to do. I think you'll enjoy it as much as I did, so sit back and relax and prepare to enter the world of The Sean L Show. Hello and welcome to The Sean L Show. Intimate conversations about music, sex, and life in New York City. My guest today is me, bitch. I'm the guest. <laughs> I am doing a solo podcast today. Um, and on this week's episode, I interview another podcaster that I met through a Facebook podcasters group. And I don't think he'll be too upset with me if I say that his show is not probably one I would normally have been drawn to. It doesn't really sit in my sweet spot of hockey, the paranormal, true crime, trivia, or politics, which account for most of what I listen to on a regular basis. However, fortunately for me, I was looking for interesting people and interesting shows to collaborate with, and Sean Lyons and his podcast definitely fit that brief. Sean produces and hosts a podcast out of New York City called The Sean L Show, which is now entering its third season. The tagline for the show is Intimate Conversations About Music, Sex, and Life in New York City. It's primarily a gay comedy podcast, but it also focuses heavily on music. From what I can gather from a little light stalking on the internet, Sean is a proud New Yorker, seems to be always impeccably dressed, and has a knack for being photographed with celebrities like Kelly Ripper, Gloria Estefan, and Diana Ross. And you know we're going to talk about that last one for sure. He has engaging an engaging and yet disarming voice that he uses in conjunction with a professional interview technique to bring you some very entertaining interview shows. He also has a loyal group of friends that make some of the less structured episodes a laugh right to listen to, and for me, they were both informative and eye-opening, as are the advice column style shows. Sean's show celebrates and explores the funny, the serious, and interesting parts of his life and the LGBTQA community with a healthy dose of diva worship thrown in for good measure. So without further ado, I am finally excited to welcome Sean Lyons to my guest list pod. 
Thank you so much, Darren. That was a wonderful intro. I think I need to hire you to be my publicist. That oh, thank you very so much. Great. I appreciate you that. Really, you really, really nailed the spirit of what I'm trying to do with the podcast. Thank you so much for that. Not, it's, uh, oh. it's great to be here with you. And uh, as I was mentioning to you just before we started the uh, podcast, uh, how are things in New York at the moment? Things in New York are grim but optimistic we are excited to have a new presidential administration we're really excited to have joe and kamala in uh in washington now taking over the reins um so we're trying to get everyone vaccinated and it looks like it's going to take a long time so we have to hunker down because we have a long time still ahead of us um, with COVID. So it's a dark time, but we're trying to, you know, press forward and keep our spirits up as best we can with, you know, a little bit of humor and grit, which is what New Yorkers are, you know, known for. And you, you big apple spirit, I guess. So yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Fantastic. Look, for people that don't know who you are, haven't listened to your show. Yes. Give yes. me the Sean Lyon story, where you were born, raised, and obviously you now live in New York. But, um, yeah, give me an idea of who you are. Yes. Okay, so I was born and raised in Connecticut, mm -hmm. um, born in Hartford, Connecticut, and raised in the uh, bucolic suburbs of, of Hartford, Connecticut, <laughs> in Simsbury, a town called Simsbury. Yeah. Um, it was a lot of fun. Um, but it was a little bit too slow paced for me and I craved the big city living. Um, also as a gay guy, it, uh, it doesn't offer as much diversity there in Connecticut. So I definitely wanted to, you know, move to New York city to find more of my tribe, as you might say. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I went to college also in Connecticut. I went to the university of Hartford, the Hart school of music. And I majored in performing arts management. Uh, Dion Warwick is a fellow alum of, ah, of, uh, <laughs> very, yes, of the Heart School of Music. Yes. And um, so I moved to New York City about five years ago and have been living here ever since. And uh, just started this podcast last summer. I was uh, in between jobs and I was looking for a creative outlet and a way to sort of express myself. And that's when I started the Sean L show with the help, as you mentioned, of some great close friends who were, you know, cheering me on the whole way and were really excited about this endeavor that I was taking and um, had the generosity to share uh, their stories and their humor as well on the podcast and, and really made it special. So, and made it what it was. So that's sort of how, how that happened so that's yeah that's you in a nutshell <laughs> a, a little nutshell and i am diva obsessed i love <laughs> music it is my favorite thing i couldn't tell um yeah yeah <laughs> if you give me um if you give me any scenario in your life if you're going through a breakup if you're having a joyous moment if you give me like a, a few bullet points i will create a three-hour playlist for you and have it by the end of the day like i love to put a playlist together um carefully curated to people's events in their life i do one for gay pride every year that i release in june which is pride month here in new york city and many other u.s cities uh, 
uh, celebrate Pride in June because um, it's the anniversary of the Stonewall riots that happened here in yeah. New York City. So I I love to put a playlist together. I love music. My my favorite, as you mentioned, is the Divas. Um, but I really love all types of music. I and I love to connect with people on what their favorite music is. So that's the other thing that's important to note about me. I worked in the music industry for a few years. I found it very draining. Okay. <laughs> so it's not what I do now. But um, yeah, it really uh, it's been a major passion point in my life for sure. So that playlist that you do, do you, is it on Spotify? It is, yes. Okay. It's on Spotify. The link is in my Instagram bio. So if anyone okay. wants to find me on Instagram, I'm at Sean L. Show. And the link in my bio takes you to my podcast, but it also takes me takes you to several of my playlists that I've curated on Spotify. Um, I love Spotify as a platform, and um, so all my curated playlists are there, uh, okay. including the annual Pride playlist that I do. Oh, great. That's good. I'll, I'll give it a listen, definitely. So, yeah. Are, are you in Manhattan? I'm, I, uh, work in Manhattan, but I live in Astoria, which is okay. in the borough of Queens. Yep. Um, and, uh, it's, it's funny. I don't know what you know of U.S. geography and you're like, yes, I know where that is. But I'm no, like I do. Yeah. Over, yeah. I'm over explaining it. I apologize. No, that's fine. No, I look, I, I actually, uh, I spent, um, six and a half weeks in the States on my honeymoon. And one of my, oh, very cool. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite places to go was New York. And, uh, we actually went down to Soho and, uh, there was a, a little store we went in there. It was called Dorothy's Closet. And we met a guy who was so nice and he gave us, uh, an idea on, you know, things to look out for and, and go see and, you know, other things that people normally don't probably go and see in New York that are, uh, are good to see. We went and had lunch in a park in Soho and when you could go up the Twin tw- twin Towers and Empire State and the only, the only thing was um, the Guggenheim was closed. <laughs> so we mm. came all that way and the Guggen- Guggenheim was closed. But oh, Yeah, that that's amazing. And you did the right thing. I mean, that's the way to travel, I think, anywhere in the globe that you go is to find uh, a fun local and just get their um their opinion of what to see because you'll see the city through their eyes which is always i think so much more magical than hitting some of those tourist spots so i think that that's that's really great i'm so glad you got to spend some time in new york and through sort of a local's point of view too because it's so magical and there's so many neighborhoods here and they all have such a different and unique personality and they all have their own sort of architecture and so you know i spend so much time in astoria where i live and then i spend a lot of time when pre you know pre-covid i spent a lot of time in um chelsea and flatiron and hell's kitchen Mm -hmm. where a lot of the gay bars are and the restaurants are that i love but that's only three of the incredible neighborhoods we have here so Anytime I go to a different neighborhood that's here, it's almost, it almost feels like I'm a tourist in my own city. (laughs) So it's, I love that about New York. Like I can just go get lost in, you know, a neighborhood that I don't go to often and find a new bar or a new restaurant. And and so I've been here for almost six years now and I'm still marveling at everything it has to offer. I guess we didn't get a chance to probably go into a lot of the boroughs. We stayed on Manhattan. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but 
through, like, I'm a bit of a Sylvester Stallone fan and you learn about Hell's Kitchen and things like that through, you know, his life. And obviously in movies and things like that, there's a, there's a lot set in New York. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, we're down here in Australia. We're a long way from anywhere. But we, through movies and pop culture, we, we get to learn about, uh, especially America, through pop culture, um, about stuff like right. that. And, yeah, it's, it's cool. It, and it's cool that someone that, that actually lives in America and lives in New York can still have that experience of feeling like a tourist in his own city, which is great. Yes, absolutely. And I will say this about New York. It is a struggle to live here in every way that you can imagine. It's a struggle financially. It's a struggle physically. <laughs> like it is just exhausting to live here. It's hard. Yeah. Um, you know, to navigate the subways and just the amount of walking we do and we're we don't have cars, most of us, so we're exposed to the elements at all times. So you have to really have a love affair with the city to put up with all of the grief that it gives you. And um, yeah. I, I find that for myself, it is still worth it every day, even even in COVID. I mean, COVID is one element that has made me question it a little bit because the apartments we live in here are generally small. I'm in Astoria, so mine's a little bit bigger than most. Yeah. But, um, you know, if you move out to the boroughs, you get a little bit more space. But um, generally, our apartments aren't designed to be lived in. They're they're designed to be places where we keep our clothes and we sleep. (laughs) And the city (laughs) is where we live. We go and, and we live in the theater and in the bars and in the parks and all of the beautiful and, and in the museums. Yeah. I mean, there's so much here. And so that's where, why you come here. So COVID has definitely been a challenge. It's, it's been, you know, a little bit somber, but um, I just still am in love with the spirit of the city and, and the diversity of the city every day. That, that, that's fantastic. And to be honest, that's a perspective that I probably haven't or didn't think about the fact that, New Yorkers do live their lives in New York, not so much in their houses or their apartments. You know, their apartments, like you said, that's where I, I go home to, you know, sleep and sometimes and, you know, store my clothes and, uh, you eat and experience the city pretty much on a constant basis, which is pretty cool. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's unique. When I, when I look at what my money can buy me in other cities, it's a little bit crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. But yeah, um, yeah but uh, but it, it's worth it. It's worth it. Okay, with your show, I wanted to. This is something <laughs> I usually ask uh, everyone: is was there a specific aha moment that you went? This is why I want to start a podcast. This is what's missing. What or was it just boredom, or was it something uh, a niche you wanted to fill? You know. I, I, um, was just taking in the conversations that I was having with my friends here in the city. And I think that we all have such interesting lives as gay men in New York City. I thought that that would be a really interesting topic for a podcast. And I, I don't think that there's necessarily a lack of podcasts from, um, a gay man's point of view or anything like that. So there, there are plenty out there, but I, I also love music. And like I said, uh, earlier, I love to connect with people on the music that they love. And so I thought if I could combine those sort of two favorite topics and get people's funny sex and dating stories, as well as getting, you know, what are you listening to? That's kind of the question that I, I try to start all my interviews with. As the podcast has evolved, I've, I've sometimes gotten away from it, but I do 
like to dig in and see, you know, what music is, is driving you because it's a common thing. Even if it's not necessarily the music I like, everybody has music that they love and return to. And it's such an emotional thing that we all have and share. So that I think is the one unique thing that sets my podcast apart is bringing the music element in. And I really have enjoyed getting to feature my friends and their funny stories about their dating and sex lives here in the city because <laughs> I think they are very unique. And also I think that I wanted to have some really frank and sometimes graphic conversations yes. <laughs> about about sex because I think that sometimes we it's still taboo and I think that we don't talk about it bluntly um sometimes in the way that we should yeah I think in some ways too that women have almost taken some autonomy and ownership over their sex lives with shows like sex in the city. And, you know, they talk about their experiences and challenges and different things a lot. And I feel like men are a little bit more shy about, um, you know, what happens in our sex lives, even, even gay men. Like we like to have, you know, a lot of bravado about our sex lives and this and that. But I think that sometimes it's fun to find the commonality in the shared experiences of what's not going well, what's hilarious, what is, um, you know, what are you experiencing? So I wanted to bring that to and take a little bit of the shame out of our sexuality and just, uh, and add a little bit of humor in there too. So it's, it's multifaceted for sure. Yeah. And I think you've done all that. And like I I said, your show is probably not something I I would have naturally uh, looked for. But once I did find it and, you know, listen to a few episodes, it's very, very funny. And I have a whole new vocab- vocabulary now. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and speaking of which, uh, you were talking about your friends and your experiences. Is it Mike and Aaron? Yeah. Yeah. So I always thought yes. it was Aaron, but maybe it's just the accent. And then I, I, uh, I don't know where I saw it, but I realized it was Aaron and not Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they're, they're on your show a lot. They're guests, uh, in some of the, yes. as I said, less structured shows. Who, who are they? Yes. So Mike and Aaron are longtime friends of mine. Um, Mike, I met in Connecticut when we both lived in Connecticut. When I was at the University of Hartford studying music management, my, uh, minor, at one time was music performance and I had to take a music theory class and he tutored me in music theory because it's quite challenging. There's a lot to know there. It's almost like, um, like a math or science music. So, um, he's an incredibly talented, uh, vocalist in his own right. And, um, also graduated with a, uh, a major in music. So, so we became friends through just being gays in the very small gay scene in Connecticut. But then also we had this commonality of music. So we became fast friends that way. He moved to the city before I did and was living here with the guy that he met and fell in love with, Aaron. And they were living together and needed a roommate at the exact same time I was looking to move to the city. So I moved in with them and um, they are both just my uh, best and closest friends in the city. Aaron is a um, st- he's a fashion stylist, a photographer, and uh, an influencer on Instagram. So as I've started this podcast, the two of them have been such a 
you know, I, I say that they're like my uncredited executive producers because they've really <laughs> been my cheerleaders. Yeah. And, um, you know, they've been my sounding board when I have different ideas about how I want to market the podcast, who I want to bring on, what kinds of questions I want to ask, um, all kinds of things. So they are, have been invaluable, uh, both as friends, but also as creatives. Um, so I've just really enjoyed the collaboration with them. Quite a bit. I, I think they they're actually really funny too. And when you do those episodes yes. together, they 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 are a laugh right there. And yes, it, yes. It, it's really good that you include them because uh, it makes for an interesting show. So, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, All right let's get into your topic for this week. And uh, normally, I ask someone why they picked the topic that they did, but I don't think there's uh, <laughs> any doubt in uh, anyone's mind considering uh, you're gushing over music and your love of music, which is totally understandable. So your topic this week is top 10 diva albums of the 1990s. Yes. (laughs) Big surprise there, you know, like uh, coming out of left field. Uh, But but, So I have one question. So Mm -hmm. what makes a diva? Ah, such a good question. So I think that it is an unparalleled talent. So first of all, they have to have talent above and beyond, you know, what a lot of other people can do. Um, so that's step one, but then they also have to have charisma. They have to take up presence. They're the type of person that when they walk into a room, like it just feels like all the oxygen goes in their direction and all eyes are on them because they're just, they're a presence. Um, it's that charisma. It's a fashion sense. It's a stage presence. Because there are so many people on the planet that are so incredibly gifted and talented, musically and otherwise, that can sing amazingly or can dance amazingly. There's amazing songwriters. There's so, there's, there's beautiful women. There's so many different things that are tiny elements of what makes a diva, but a diva has all of them yeah. as well as a presence. It's that, that ability to capture someone's imagination and hold the attention of a whole room yeah um so that's what the difference is it's it's the whole package no problems all right okay so that out of the way let's get into your first pick your number 10 uh, well you said i'm these, so excited these aren't in any sort of order you said but i sort of put them oh, I, I reversed the order so that you can we can count down from 10 i i thought that the order that you've got them in here is Pretty good and pretty close to what you'd rank them at, or okay, I think so. I think yeah. so. And I even, I even forget. Like I pretty much know what I gave you, but there's a few. Like I think I have like six to eight really like top top ones. So I'm I'm excited to see what I even emailed you <laughs> <laughs> a month ago. Um, all right, I'll- but I'm sure I'll have no problem uh, just waxing poetic about all. Of them. All right, not a problem. Which is good. Look, I'll um. <laughs> I'll give you the first one. Then number 10 is Brandy 7. Never say never. Ah, that's a great, that's a great number 10. That's a, that's probably where I would put that. So that album came out late 90s. The 90s were such a rich time for pop and R&B music. I think it's still, you know, I was a kid and people say that the music that you listen to as a kid is the music that sticks with you. So maybe that's why I have such a, a nostalgic feeling, but I really do think the nineties were a rich time. They were. Um, 
Brandy collaborated with uh, uh, Dark Child Rodney Jerkins on that album, as well as um, one of his protégés, songwriters and producers that has since passed away tragically in a car accident, um, LaShawn Daniels. And they both were like just brilliant producers. And that album, top to bottom, is just such an encapsulation of the 90s r&b music scene and there's so many great songs on that album from angel in disguise to uh almost doesn't count you don't know me and the massive hit that just was like the global worldwide hit have you ever which is probably what people think about when they think of brandy so i just i love that album when when you gave me this topic, I thought to myself, all right, not really in my wheelhouse, but it's not doesn't have to be. It's about you, obviously, and you counting down your temper. I like to be able to comment here or there. And I thought, what am I going to do with divas? Um, but then I looked at it, and between my wife and myself, we have eight of the ten albums that you've got, or at least eight of the ten <laughs> performers that you've got. We have CDs or albums of theirs. Um, and that <laughs> makes me so happy. So, uh, and then when we looked through it, we found other things like Donna Summer and all this other stuff. And, um, yeah, it was funny. So, uh, I'm glad I can at least appreciate. And, and Brandy, I remember Brandy's probably, she's probably the youngest of the, the group that you've given me. I think she, she was 94. I think so. I yeah. Think, yeah. When yeah. she first started. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Let, will you let me know which albums you didn't have? I would be curious to know which ones I, I may have introduced you and your wife to. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So yeah. Tony Braxton is your number nine secrets is uh, the album. Oh, so, gorgeous my woman. gosh. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> I just think that she has such a unique voice. There's nobody on the music scene that has that type of voice. It's so deep and husky and sensual. And it's another one of those albums. And that's a Babyface collaboration on that album. Who uh, yeah. Also another producer songwriter that owned the nineties. The songs on that album, you're making me high Unbreak My Heart. Unbreak My Heart. I Don't Want To. Yeah. 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 Um, I Love Me Some Him. Uh, It's just, uh, she even has a collaboration on there. It's called How Could an Angel Break My Heart? And it's just about how she was so in love with this guy and she never saw the breakup coming. And Kenny G plays the saxophone (laughs) on it. So it doesn't really get more nineties than Tony Braxton (laughs) and and Kenny G. Yeah. And the, the album artwork is beautiful too. It's just her with her hair sort of wet and slicked back and she's just stunning. So I, I mean, that's another, I mean, if you're going to do an album, even, even outside the realm of divas, even if you did like top albums of the 1990s, I think that, uh, secrets would have to be on there. And I think that that's what took her sort of from being like from one level of like an up and coming star to like a bona fide superstar because she had had a lot of hits before that with like, you mean the world to me, another sad love song. And when this came out with Unbreak My Heart, it just catapulted her to like a new level of, of superstardom. Well, Unbreak My Heart was probably the first time I actually ever heard of Tony Braxton. And we probably didn't have a lot 
of her music on the radio down here as well. But when mm-hmm. that came out, everyone was very aware who Tony Braxton was. And then, then you know, they, they saw her as well, and she's such a, a, a gorgeous woman. And she's, a you know, the whole package, the marketing must have been so easy <laughs> for uh, her manager. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, look, it's uh, it's not one of the albums. This is one of the albums we don't have. We, we don't, we, ah. yeah, so this is probably something I'm going to go back onto Spotify and have a, a listen through the rest of the album because Unbreak My Heart's probably the only song I really know from her. Ah, okay. I'm excited. I'm excited for you to listen to it. Some other ones that I love on there, there's a song called Come On Over Here. That's the song that kicks the album off. I love that song. Okay. And then there's like this very sensual song called Talking In His Sleep. And it's about this, she's sleeping with this guy and in his sleep, he's talking about someone else. Like he's having dreams about someone else. And it's kind of a story song where she's not really singing she's giving you like a narration almost like a spoken word yeah. are the verses and then the choruses are sung and i i love it i love it okay i'm gonna my, check that out then. one of my top 10 diva albums of the 90s <laughs> <laughs> there you go all right number eight now again mm-hmm. like there's not a woman on here that isn't gorgeous so i'll just stop saying that so um but number, <laughs> number eight is shania twain good canadian girl come on over is the album Oh my gosh. Now that's like probably one of the top albums of all time as far as like record sales go. And I don't know like where that lands. I think it's up there with the behemoths of record sales, which are like the Beatles, Elvis, Whitney, Mariah, and and then like this album. And maybe, unfortunately, some of the 90s boy bands I think are up in that (laughs) stratosphere too. I think that there there's some diamond selling albums for NSYNC or something yeah, like that. But that's a lot of four year old kids around. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean that album from Shania Twain again. It's the thought of these albums that don't have any filler on them. I oh, think yeah. that um, a lot of times there's in especially in pop music, which is a lot of the albums on this list. Um, and Shania, you know, a lot of them are R and B pop, Shania's country pop. Um, but I think this is her first like pop album to me. I think that before this, she was truly country. Yeah. Come on over is a, like really a pop album with a country twist. It's yeah, kind of yeah. like when Taylor Swift recently ventured into like 1989 and now, then now from that point on, she's just pop, but. Um, so it really was a huge crossover moment. And when you listen to that album top to bottom, there are so many hits on that album, you know, from the title track, come on over, man, I feel like a woman rock this country that don't impress me much. Um, uh, you've got away with me. Yeah. Um, no feelers like you said. Uh, you're, <laughs> Yeah, you're still you're still the one was a massive hit. And it's like these massive career defining hits. And there's just a plethora of the a plethora of them on one album, which is wild, because if you look at her catalog, she hasn't even released that many albums. She her whole career um, is based on this huge album um, because she did like, I think, maybe one album after that and then just had a terrible personal sort of struggle with her ex-husband and Mm -hmm. disappeared for like a decade 
And now she's touring and doing Vegas residency. And it's largely, if you look at her set list, it's probably 80% that whole album. album. So (laughs) it's just insane. So, um, yeah, I had to include that one and I wanted to mix up the genres a little bit too. I, if I had to rank genres in terms of what I love musically, country would be at the, like the rock bottom, but I am a sucker for divas and, Shania really won me over with that one. And it's really good songwriting, beautiful melodies. Uh, so yeah, absolutely amazing. It's a pretty nice film clips too. So good, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yep. All right. Look, number seven, before we get into some more questions, number seven, this, they don't get too much bigger than this person either. Madonna, Ray of Life. So that was ah. 98, I think. Yes. Late yes. 90s. I forgot that I, I forgot that I put that on there. I'm not, I'm not a huge Madonna fan, but I think I, when I made this list, I was probably thinking that how do you do a top divas of the nineties and not include Madonna? And it's yeah, true because for sure. she really is like one of the top ever. Um, Ray of light. What I love about this album is Madonna really is the queen of reinvention. And she really took it to a new level with this album because I think her, uh, previous albums were erotica which she was extremely sexualized um to her credit or discredit at the time i think it was largely panned but in (laughs) retrospect i think we look at her as like being quite brave and really moving um pop culture forward a little bit and out of prudishness like now we look at that and we're like oh good for you but i think at the time it wasn't really um well received and then bedtime stories which was largely r&b um a lot of babyface production on that album which was i think trying to compete with the divas like uh you know whitney and tony and mariah she was trying to you know um you know punch into that class a little bit so with ray of light she introduced you know a new genre sort of to the masses which was this sort of techno sound but it was done through ballads it wasn't you know techno dance so the the lead-off single uh frozen is really a techno song but it's a ballad and the the first song on the album substitute for love again a ballad a lot of lush beautiful ballads on that album but they're done in a techno style and it's really this ambient musical style that i don't think she created or invented but madonna has this incredible knack of taking something like voguing, for instance, that's really underground and she can, you know, funnel it through her creative vision and spread it to the masses. And so with Ray of Light, her and William Orbit um, really did that. And I think it, it, the finished product is amazing. Um, and of course, the the major singles, Ray of Light, the, the title track, incredible single, Power of Goodbye, Frozen. And then there's a song on there that was not a single. And it's called To Have, Not To Hold. And it's just one of my favorite songs. And it's just, I just love the percussion in it and everything. So, okay. yes, great album. Yeah. No, look, she, like you said, to have the longevity that she's had over many years, uh, she's reinvented herself every decade and uh, she stayed relevant. So, uh, yes. which is great. And yeah. uh, she's a fantastic yeah. performer. So, yes, very much so. Very much so. Okay, let's take the first break. Let's get into All some right. questions. And uh, All right. 
I guess one of the questions I wanted to ask was, as I said, you do a few different shows. You do a uh, interview show, you do a show with your friends, and then you do it like mm-hmm. an advice cl- column. Um, of the different types of shows that you do, what's your favorite? Oh, that's a good question. So I, I love the shows that I do with my friends because we have some, some cocktails and it's just very loose and it's easy. And, it's not a heavy lift for me because it's so conversational. And so it's just very comfortable and the conversation flows. And before I know it, our time is up and the content we have is just golden. So those I think would be my favorite. Um, lately I've been interviewing some, uh, high profile guests. So those are very interesting as well, but they're a little bit more, um, stressful because I want to, um, ask them provocative questions that maybe no one else has asked them before. And I want it to be interesting and original, but I also want to create a little bit of that rapport that you're used to with the episodes with my friends. I want to kind of still have that vibe. So um, those are a little bit more challenging, but I like to do those as well. Um, The advice column show happened because I had booked a guest, uh, a high profile guest (laughs) and they canceled and I forgot to, I didn't cancel. I was recording with a studio. I didn't cancel my session in time and I had paid for it. And so there I was. And so I decided to pull some funny, um, or just interesting uh, questions off of Reddit. Yep. <laughs> I answered people's <laughs> questions from Reddit, and it turned out all right. It I did. thought it was it was, it a was good, all right. Good episode for sure. Um, thank you, thank you so much. Um, so, so that I, was sort of a one-off there. But I also love to talk about politics. I love to talk about serious things that are affecting our world, and the feedback um, that I've gotten through my metrics is that those episodes don't do that well people (laughs) don't necessarily want to hear me go on and on about uh politics and so i i've taken the feedback i get it i think that um we have so much of that from twitter and cable news and the newspapers and it just we're bombarded with it and it's a very heavy time and i think in our history as americans and also globally um, it's just very heavy. I think people are looking for something else from my podcast. And so I, I've heard the feedback and I will give that to them. And I'm, I'm excited to keep doing that. Yeah. Look, I, I think people from, you know, I know with my listening to your show, it's something I come to as an oasis from all that other stuff, all that politics and things yes. like that. It's more, you know, fun and frivolity that, uh, and the dynamic between you and your friends that's interesting and it's disarming, it's uh, informal, it's it's very funny. And that's uh, what I come to the show to listen to. And so, yeah, I, I'd probably, I'd, again, I, I listen to political shows that are dedicated political shows. I probably don't need to hear it from every show that I listen to. And right. those, those are the metrics that you've probably received. And, yeah, at least you've, you've listened and uh, you're going to go with what's <laughs> – right. uh, What's uh, making everybody happy? <laughs> yes. <So. laughs> yeah. Speaking of your interviews, who's been your most mm-hmm. gratifying interview so far? Um, you know, I did an interview with uh, a drag artist here, uh, Britta Filter, and yes. she is a drag queen from the New York City drag scene. And I had seen her shows here in New York. Um, at a bar that is no longer uh, open. Unfortunately, we lost it to COVID called Therapy. 
And she is a huge amount of energy and positivity and hilarity. Um, just a performer that just captures your imagination. Very much all the qualities that make a diva. I mean, all the <laughs> qualities that make an outstanding drag queen, I think Britta embodies them. Yeah. And so she got cast on the very popular show, uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. I don't know. How much does how much does that permeate Australian pop culture? We, we Do you know, have that? We know of uh, we know of the show. Um okay. it's on cable TV. Uh from okay. memory. I don't think it's on free to wear. It's probably on like Foxtel or something like that. But it yeah, it's obviously it's a bit of a niche market, so um uh, we don't see it a lot. Yes. Okay. But we know so, of it. um gotcha. So so Britta went on the show and um it's through Instagram. I had been, I, she had done like sort of a come up on stage for this trivia. And I had like been on stage and done this music trivia with one of my friends, Lucas, that was on the podcast. And, and I, I just killed him at this trivia and it was strip name that tune. And I mean, he was foolish to play that against me, who is the music and uh, expert. So he ended up completely naked on the stage uh, with an ice bucket covering his, uh, his dick. So, so we had that experience with Britta, which was hilarious. And then I had sort of kept in touch with Britta on Instagram. And so I really had an affection for her and her work. And so she got cast on RuPaul's Drag Race. And we were also excited. Anytime a New York queen gets on that show, we're, you know, really rooting for them. And did not have a great turn on the show. Um, she sort of let her insecurities get the better of her and was a little bit of a bully to one of the other um, contestants. And I may say rightfully so, to be honest. <laughs> I kind of, I don't know if I'm partial because I'm team Britta. But I thought some of the things she said were valid, but okay. um, it wasn't a great showing for her because she was a little bit of a bully. So she ended up in turn, the fandom, there's a, a huge, you know, this, this show has crossed over into mainstream pop culture here in the States where it's not just the gay community that's watching it. It's, it's become quite a huge sensation. Okay. So she ended up getting really, really bullied online. And so she, I, my show was the first interview that she did after that experience. And so I was really um, honored to be able to talk to her about that. Um, she revealed some very personal things and uh, that sh that episode got covered in out magazine and oh, um, right. pink news in the UK. And so that was a really gratifying uh, interview for me. And Fantastic. I was, I was really privileged that she shared that those personal stories with me. That's that's great, and I did listen to that episode actually too. So it was, ah. yeah, no, I knew there was a, a little bit of a kerfuffle about what happened on the show, and obviously I learned yeah. a lot more by listening to your show about what happened. And yeah, it's uh, I th I think with the big personalities that they are, I think the big attitude comes with it, I guess, as well. So it's probably hard to, <laughs> you know, be subtle when you're in drag, I guess. So. Um, yeah. So, so things, are, yeah, there's going to be conflict and different dynamics between people. And I guess it didn't go her way, unfortunately, on the show. So, yeah. And unfortunately, I think that, um, what made me sad about it is that as a person, she's very generous and humble and, and kind. And so I was sad that it, what the, the negative things, which is what they really edited out, okay. um, you know, to make the show. 
those were the things that show came out on the show, which was really, really her insecurities getting the better of her. Um, I was disappointed that that's how she came across because that's not truly who she is. I mean, it is to some extent, right? Because it, it did happen, <laughs> but um, there's yeah. so much more. And she, she really, after the show, put a lot of her time into politics and advocacy work um, okay. and uh, did a lot of, you know, get out the vote and work with uh, phone banking and really encouraging people in swing states to vote and and help get Biden elected so that we could turn a corner in our politics here um, towards a better future for okay. ourselves. Yeah, of course. Um, so she, she's done some really great things. Yeah. So she was a great interview. Uh, who yes. is your dream interview? Ah. Uh, my dream interview, I always say, is Gloria Estefan. Ah. <laughs> and we uh, affectionately refer to her on the podcast as Tia Gloria. Um, Auntie Gloria. <laughs> yes. So um, we, uh, I've had the privilege to meet Gloria on, on many occasions as a big fan of hers. She's very generous with her time to her big fans and lets us come backstage and hang out and um, at different concerts and she's just very generous. And, and now she has a list of us and I don't know, it's like Santa Claus. I don't know how she got this list of fans, but there's a huge list of fans. If you go to her Twitter every day, she's wishing several people a happy birthday. And those oh, are like her nuts. biggest fans that <laughs> she's developed. Yeah. She's yeah, developed crazy. a relationship with over the years and I'm on her list of birthdays. I don't know, you know, one of the fans must have gone into Facebook and somehow documented all of our birthdays and sent it to her. I don't know who did it. I, I, to this day, it's happened for several years, but every year on my birthday, Gloria Stefan's on Twitter wishing me a happy birthday. And each greeting, each birthday greeting is different from year to year and That's from person right. to person. Yeah. Like she really personalizes. I mean, yeah. who at that large of a celebrity mm. um, who's made that impact, much of an impact on the world is, is taking that time to interact with, with their fans and really forge relationships. So I, I think she's so great. So I would love to, to interview her about her albums and, yeah, yeah, I'd yeah, love to absolutely. hear it. Actually, Thank I you. think it'll be a fantastic interview. I think you do really well. Yeah. With it, so I, I, I hope yeah. that happens. So. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you so much. <laughs> what, what are Thank the you. We're putting that energy into the environment. It's going. Right it's now, out there. I so exactly, we're going to yeah. make it happen. Positive thoughts. So. Yeah. Thank <laughs> um, you. <laughs> you. You mentioned getting on stage with Britta, but there's one photo yes. uh, on your Facebook. So uh, as I said, we we talk about Diana Ross later. You're on stage with Diana Ross. What I am on stage with Diana Ross. Okay, so I also am a huge fan of Diana Ross, and that might be an understatement. <laughs> um, yeah, when I was in college, I was living in Connecticut with my parents, and I was like, gosh, I, this is a little boring. There's a beautiful venue in Simsbury called the Simsbury Meadows, and Every year, the Hartford Symphony Orchestra does a residency there in the summer, and they get pop acts as like sort of one-offs. Harry Connick Jr. has played there. Willie Nelson has played there. So they've got some really great names, but it's not consistent. Some years, they won't have anyone. 
And so I was trying to just say like, who could be an amazing, huge act that could come here and really put this place on the map. And so Diana Ross is that name for me. I'm a huge fan. I've, I've gone to many of her concerts and I started a campaign, bring Diana Ross to Simsbury <laughs> and it still exists on Facebook. So I really put my all into this in college. And I, at the time she was touring, I mean, she was touring a lot up until COVID and then, I mean, no one's touring now, but yeah. Um, I was going to a ton of her shows and I met this incredible community of fans. Um, and one of the fans, Greg, uh, is quite close to her. He's been following her since the Supremes day when days when he was a kid. Um, and, and really has forged a personal relationship with her and he kind of let her know who I was. And so she really has a, a familiarity with the people that come to her shows often and she'll see us in the audience and wave to us and acknowledge us. And she really interacts personally with her audience as well. And so I was one of those people and she knew me as well from the campaign, which she's a savvy businesswoman. So I was working with different promoters to get her to go there, local promoters in Connecticut. I won't name them. But they didn't get her an offer that was good enough. And okay. I don't have the money to pay her personally. Yeah. So she never did come to Simsbury, but she was quite aware of like the campaign. Like she knows who I am and she's been very sweet to me. So one show that I went to in Boston, she was doing upside down. She likes to pull people out of the audience. And um, so <laughs> she it was we were she was making eye contact with me. We were dancing <laughs> back and forth. And uh and she said, do you want to come up? And then she looked around for stairs because some of the venues, she plays a lot of like Broadway style theaters yeah. around the country. Some of the venue has stairs and some do not. This one did not. And so she invited me up and then looked for stairs and then sort of took it back because she saw that I wasn't going to be able to get up there. And so I mimed to her. I said, I can get up there. Like I, cause I had never, <laughs> other fans had been called on stage before. Yeah. I never had been able to get on stage. And so I said, I could get up there. And she just like gave me like a sly look and like nodded her head. And so I leaped onto the stage <laughs> and security came to get me because these, the venue security does not know that she does this. Like okay. she's a touring action. It's not a residency. And so they're trying to tackle me and save Diana Ross from this overambitious fan. And she, she gives them that no, 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 you know, he's, he's allowed. I've invited him and I yeah. got to dance, uh, with Diana Ross to upside down in Boston. It was incredible. Um, I've been on stage with her again since then, uh, a, a, a few times and gotten to sing with her as well. So she's been very sweet to me and, and knows me, uh, when she sees me in the audience. So it's, it's a very cool relationship that I've, I've been able to have with her as well. A, a legend. That's um, fantastic. So. It's still surreal to talk about. It's yeah, that, very cool. That's great. Look, what was the feeling like when she first, you know, noticed you in the, you know, and waves to you in the in the crowd? That must be pretty exhilarating. Yeah. So the 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 first real real time was in Hartford. I had launched this campaign, and one of the promoters um, booked the Hartford date, and he reached out to me to help him with local marketing. And he was like, I saw your Simsbury campaign. You must be so thrilled that she's coming to Hartford. And I was like, well, to be honest, like she's come to Hartford before I was trying to get her to Simsbury to this <laughs> venue that I'm trying to like put on the map. So yeah. no, I wish that you had booked her in my venue that I'm trying to, you know, help. 
But um, that's when she really had an awareness about this campaign and the guy who started it. And I was doing a lot of cool, like um, original content in tribute to her and things. And so that concert, she, uh, she was looking for fans to, to sing a verse of reach out and touch at the, the encore song that she does. And she had given me the mic and I got to sing with her at that concert. And, and that was really, um, like just my dad was in the audience and it just, that was just a moment that I will never forget. And so it's always surreal each time. Um, but it feels like a friendship now, almost like a distant friendship. You know, it's, it's, it's very cool. Yeah. Ah, fantastic. Okay. All right. So let's move on then. We'll move on to your six to four in terms of your top 10. Otherwise we're going to be here for hours, which is, which (laughs) I wouldn't have any problem with, but, People don't listen to those podcasts unless you're Joe Rogan. So, <laughs> um, so uh, number six is Janet Jackson, Velvet Rope. Ah, yes. Okay, so Velvet Rope uh, is important to me. I love Janet Jackson so much. She writes a lot of uh, most of her music. She writes with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. And I think that because she's such a performer, Former. She has such a stage presence, such a look about her. She doesn't often get the credit for being the musician that she is. So and the songwriter that she is and the velvet rope, I think, is different than anything that was out at the time. It's not indicative of anyone really, period. It doesn't necessarily sound like the 90s. Um, it just sounds like a standalone work of art. And I do think it's her best album of her career. Okay. And just because of the samples that they pull in, the things that they reference from the seventies and reinvent, um, you know, they sample Joni Mitchell on that, mm-hmm. uh, album. It's just a really special album. And she talks a lot about her struggles with depression and, um, and just being a gay kid growing up in, uh, you know, rural Connecticut, uh, in high school, I really struggled with depression a lot. And okay. that album was really like my crutch. Like that's the album that I always go back to. And even as an adult, I just love to revisit it because the musicality of it is so good. The songwriting is so good. And, um, and one thing about Janet Jackson, a lot of people, she has a very, thin voice um she's not a whitney houston or a patty labelle she's not belting but the musicality of her voice is incredible and as a musician as a singer what she's able to do with her voice is really incredible and if you listen to a janet jackson record you'll hear maybe a layer of like six different harmonies and they're all her (laughs) they're all her doing and she writes those harmonies and sings Mm. them so um she yeah, yeah. So if you really listen to the layers of a Janet Jackson record, it's very complex, more than people realize, for being a pop record. And so she's really an incredible musician. And I think that album really showcases that. And she does a lot of different um, vocalizing on that album that's really great. I love I Get Lonely. I think that's a, one of the best R&B records um, of her career and of the 90s. So uh, I think she's sometimes underrated as a vocalist and as a songwriter. Uh, because of who she is as a performer. She gives you so much visually that I think she's a little underestimated. So that would be my album recommendation. Okay. So I I know Velvet Rope, and I, I really haven't listened to it. 91 was a big year for me in terms of uh, finding grunge. And uh, yes. I was listening to more Alice in Change and Soundgarden and 
guys like that rather than probably the the more poppy stuff. But I yeah. own Rhythm Nation, but that was mm-hmm. eighty nine, so it doesn't really make the nineties. But I loved Rhythm Nation. I thought that was uh, that was like apart from it had some really cool songs on it, but it had some stuff on it that was probably a little bit more experimental for her as well. Um, yes. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's yeah. That's one of the the albums we do own, but we don't own Velvet Rope as such. So I might go back and give that another listen and maybe appreciate. Now that I've got a a new way of looking at it, you've given me a new way of lo- looking at it. I'll I can appreciate it a little bit more. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of songs on there that are made like made for radio. Like I Get Lonely, um, Go Deep, Together Again really great singles but there's a lot the 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 non-singles on that album it's just really experimental she has vanessa may who is like a classically trained um violinist Uh, it's just really she goes into like some really cool things on the album that are just uh there's a song called what about that is like a hard rock song about domestic violence so she, there's a song called Empty that is about um, meeting someone on the internet and falling in love with them, but it, it's empty because you, you're never going to meet them in person. And this is so many years before like the idea of catfish or anything like yeah. that. You know, yeah. this is the years of the AOL chat room, and um, <laughs> and uh, it, it actually starts with. Um, there's an interlude into that song that is like the dial-up tone when we used to have to like wait for the internet to dial up before we logged on. And so it's it's just a really, yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. There's a song called uh, free zone about, um, you know, LGBT rights. Uh, There's a song called rope burn about experimenting with S and M. And so also I credit Janet Jackson with like a lot of my, um, awakening a lot of my sexuality as well. So okay. a lot of the topics that I talk about on my podcast sexually, Janet Jackson is probably where I learned a lot okay. <laughs> when I was a kid, just coming of age. So yeah. um, it's, it's, I think uh, maybe her finest album okay. uh, rhythm nation and the Janet album probably compete, but velvet rope for me is her best. Okay. Number five. Uh, this is a pretty big one. Mariah Carey butterfly. Ah, so when I think of Mariah Carey Butterfly, that is the album that she would say is her favorite. And it's the, uh, it's like the divorce album. So this is when she (laughs) divorced Tommy Mottola. It's her first album where she had complete autonomy and creative control. And I just think about the music video where it's like a movie and she's kidnapped and she's in this mansion. And it's so much of it. Now that we know her story with Tommy Mottola, we see the symbolism easily, but at the time we didn't know. And she's in that mansion and then she dives off the balcony into the water and she's on a jet ski with Puff Daddy and like the whole thing. It's so sexy. Like it's just very sexy. She's, I think it's her most beautiful era. I love the way she looked in that era. Um, and so I love the freedom in that, that she was able to really express herself as an artist, really take a deep dive into R&B and hip hop, because I think there was such an effort to push her down that, you know, sort of whitewashed our um, pop music, the adult contemporary. They wanted her on that Celine Dion track, like they yeah. really wanted her to be, you know what Celine and Gloria Stefan were doing at that time, which was, you know, amazing music, but it wasn't who she was. Yeah, and yeah. so that butterfly album was the first time she got to be who she was. And, um, 
to a full out extent with uh, collaborations with like Bone Thugs and Harmony. And it's just a really good R&B pop album. And I love songs like Honey and Breakdown and The Roof, Fourth of July. So many. Again, it's a, an album with no filler. Yeah. Um, there's a Prince collab cover on there. It's just really, really good. With a voice like that, it's hard to probably sing a bad song. <laughs> um, yes. And also my all, the ballad, my all, where she's like floating in the ocean in the music video is about baseball superstar Derek Jeter, yeah. <laughs> which just came out in her memoir. Um, which is, I mean, people love that, that stuff, that tea. All right, look, uh, we're up to number four. Well, okay. I guess obviously going to be one of your favorites, Gloria Estefan, Destiny. Ah, yes. Okay, so I think in the canon of Gloria Estefan's catalog, I think that she is best known for her work in the 80s. Uh, Conga, Rhythm is Going to Get You. Well, you know, some of her, of yeah. yeah, exactly. Some of her amazing ballads, like Anything for You and things like that. But Destiny is, you know, after she sort of, she never left Miami Sound Machine. It was always the same musicians, but yeah. Emilio, her husband, wanted to put her out front and be really the brand name. But she started to sort of make concept albums in the 90s, um, and Destiny falls in line with those concept albums. And the concept of Destiny is that it's an Afro-Cuban sound, so it's very tribal, mm. and Cuban music has a lot of the cornerstones of Latin music that we think about, but it's also heavily influenced by African music yeah. and uh, the drums. And like that. Yeah. Absolutely. A lot of the drum and percussion. Exactly. And so when you hear a song from the eighties, like rhythm is going to get you, it's really the fusion of, um, you know, the Latin sound with 80s synth pop and uh, also African uh, influences there as well. So on Destiny, she took that to sort of its roots. And okay. she's known for more her dance music, but there's a lot of beautiful ballads. And it's a truly Latin and African infusion on that album. And it's really unique and beautiful. And she wrote most of the songs on that album. And some of them are in collaboration with Diane Warren, who okay. is one of the greatest songwriters we've ever had. And the Olympic theme, Reach, is on there, the 1996 Olympic theme, as well as some really fun songs, Party Time. Um, and the title track is maybe one of my favorite songs, probably my favorite Gloria Stefan song and maybe one of my favorite songs of all times. It's just so dramatic and soaring. Um, okay. Really, really good album. It's funny, when uh, you I saw Gloria Stefan on there, I thought to myself that you might have picked Into the Light because that's actually one of the CDs I own. And when I was at university, an elective was uh, that I was doing was Spanish because half my heritage is Spanish. And uh, but yeah. I, did, I didn't grow up with my family, so I was doing uh, Spanish at university. And, and part of the way I would uh, study uh, comprehension would, this would be to listen to artists singing in Spanish. And so I'd listen to, to Gloria Estefan songs that she sang in Spanish. So uh, it brings I back good memories. <laughs> I love that story. I love that story. Yeah. Mi Tierra was probably her, her yeah. most famous Spanish album. But yeah. Um, yeah, Into the Light is an amazing album because it's sort of her comeback after her, um, her bus accident yeah, yeah, where she crash. almost died. Yeah. yeah. So that's definitely a, a special album. But musically, um, except for the title, well, I guess it's not the title track, but except for Coming Out of the Dark, a lot of that is very of the moment. 
90s pop that I think um, doesn't age necessarily. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah it yeah. doesn't age as well as some of the other ones. Even Six your 80s ballads. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Oh yeah. my gosh. Um, Seal Our Fate and all, all of those. They're very, very timely. Yeah. And I'm not sure they hold up as well as some of her 80s work that is just iconic yeah. I think balladry and songwriting. Yeah. 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 And, and then Destiny really, um, because it's so conceptual, it can be from any era. And so I think it, for that reason, it ages very well. And very so um, I'm excited for you. If you haven't checked out Destiny, to uh, take a listen to that one. I will, definitely. And uh, yeah, I dare say, I have heard a couple of songs from uh, Destiny. I think Nayab's song? Is it Nayab? Or? That one is from Into the Light as well. Is that Into that the Light? Is, oh, okay, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm and not that, remembering that's correctly. That's actually so. um, the lyrics to Nayib's song. So Nayib is Nayib, her son, son her yeah, firstborn yeah. child. Um, they're very topical, and she's basically um, thinking to herself in the lyrics of the song, you know, how am I going to help you navigate this world that mm. is in so much turmoil and unrest? So still very topical at the time that she wrote it. We obviously, uh, the U S was in the first Gulf war. Yes. So, um, still lots of turmoil, <laughs> but <laughs> that's a change. great, that's actually one of the, one of the songs I would say from into the light that has aged really well. Yeah. Um, yeah. because you know, it's always topical, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he is, um, he's got to be almost 40 now, naive. <laughs> so yeah, it's old. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he, and, and he has a, a child of his own, uh, Gloria's a grandma now. Okay. Abuela Gloria. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get into the questions again and then we'll get into okay. your top three. This is, uh, what I'm going to do with as my, podcast is evolving uh i obviously don't have a huge listener base or anything at the moment but i'd love to let people know you're the first guest of let let uh, the audience know who's coming on when he's coming on and i've uh, offered up the opportunity to pose questions so uh, that's something i want to do going forward and that's where this last part of the show will be dedicated to that so i didn't know if i was going to get any questions but fortunately i got a couple so, okay. uh, which is good. So I'll go through those now. And the first one is from Xander from, uh, the Xander and Stone podcast. It's a paranormal podcast, actually. So thank you, Xander, for oh. sending through a, uh, a question. Uh, he, he saved my bacon. So, um, he, <laughs> he poses, uh, the question of which famous straight man would you love to get a chance to dress up in drag? He voted for Trump. Uh, not, not he voted for Trump, but he voted to to dress Trump up. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I mean, I would, I personally would not like to see Trump in drag because if it were up to me, I would never like to see Trump ever again. <laughs> like I just absolutely like okay. would never like to see him again. Um, but let's see. Um, Oh my gosh, that's a really great question. Maybe someone that's like a very sexy movie star, a straight guy. I don't, that's a great question. Should I choose someone that would be funny um, if they yeah, had to be in drag? Yeah, for sure. Oh my God. You know who I would love to see a straight guy in drag would be Eugene Levy. He is. <laughs> I think I would like to see Eugene Levy in drag. 
those eyebrows, I mean, they would have to cover them up, but I think that he's so brilliant and so funny and he's such an ally and an icon. I think he would be uh, just a riot. That's a great call. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Fantastic! That is a great call. That, that's it. I'm, I'm yeah. just picturing picturing that now. That's yeah. me too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, look, Xander has another one for you. Uh, okay. He asks, "Do you know of any straight man that does drag?" And he's asking to probably give us a clearer picture of is drag associated or tied to sexuality, or is it just more of a performance art? That's a great question. So I personally don't know of um any straight guys that do drag um but i'm i'm sure they're out there i just don't know them um rupaul used to have a show called drag you like as in drag university where they would take uh straight guys and they would dress them up in drag the previous contestants of rupaul's drag race would dress them up in drag and they would have an opportunity to experience (laughs) what that is like Um, i haven't seen that i think yeah yeah i mean i think that i don't think it's tied to sexuality actually i actually don't think that it's tied to sexuality so i think that it's an art form and it's just a way to express the feminine side of yourself so um, it's like a performance art. It's like yeah. any other type of acting or, or performing. So I think certainly it's open to straight men if they were interested in doing it. Yeah. Um, because it, I think we all have like a masculine and a feminine, all of us. And I think that it's a lot more fluid than we even think. I think we sort of look at it in maybe some old fashioned terms. So certainly it, it's an art form that's open to straight men. I know there's straight men out there that do it. I don't know them personally um, or have seen them on TV, but I think it'd be really fun to have like a straight guy in RuPaul's drag race, even um, just yeah, to sure. see what that dynamic would be like. Yeah. Cause it, it truly it's, it isn't tied to sexuality. It really is just a performance art. It's a type of performance art. Well, I don't know what it's like in the States, but it, it doesn't take, too much alcohol or too much encouragement to see a lot of straight men end up in uh, their wives' dresses and things like that in photos on Facebook and uh, <laughs> uh, embarrassing photos <laughs> around. So I agree, yeah. there's probably a, a, a feminine uh, side to everybody, obviously. And uh, yeah. yeah, sometimes it's just about finding yeah. it. So. <laughs> yeah, and I think as men, we. Um, we're conditioned to sort of think that our softer side or our feminine side is some sort of like threat towards our um, masculine side. And that's just not true. I don't think that's true. So, but it becomes like a bit of silliness when we, you know, it can. So it's, it's funny how we express that. I, I, I think that um, as humans evolve, I think some of that will fall away. Um, but yeah, there's a video I just saw on Facebook and this little boy really wanted to dress up as Elsa from frozen. And, um, and so the dad had the foresight to know that if the, if he let his son dress up as Elsa, um, from frozen, his son would be terribly bullied. So instead of, uh, sort of saying, no, you can't do that. That's not what boys do or any of that. He said, well, I mean, you're really in for it if you do this. So I'm not going to let you do this alone. 
So he got an adult Elsa costume (laughs) and he dressed up as Elsa and they both went out dressed up as Elsa. That's fantastic. So, so, I mean, that to me is the height of masculinity because he's not threatened at all by that Elsa He's a real man and he's, you know, going to bat for his son. So I think I love that. I love that. So, yeah, I don't think the drag is at all tied to, to sexuality. Okay, uh, I do have one question here. It's from ro.coco2019. Came in actually oh. from Instagram, which is is actually the only one I got from Instagram, but it was, uh, yeah. hey, one's a start. He's asking, and I think you might know him somehow, uh, how do you deal with the departure of your favorite French roommate? <laughs> Uh, it's, it's a, I've been truly plunged into a deep despair and depression. So I'm just taking it (laughs) one day at a time. And for those that haven't uh, put it together yet, um, Rococo 2019 is my, uh, recently departed French roommate who has, um, he's moved on to, uh, live with his boyfriend in Hell's Kitchen. So he no longer lives with me, but when he did, um, we have a very special and close relationship because we quarantined together all through COVID and, and sort of survived a plague. So he will have the distinct distinction of being the person I survived COVID with. And Fantastic. in that time, we, we watched the whole of, of RuPaul's Drag Race every single season. We watched Shit's Creek. We watched <laughs> all kinds of things. And he would make, uh, little artisanal pizzas for me and cookies. So he is, uh, much, much missed oh, in, our, in our home. Okay. In our apartment, yes. <laughs> so, Rococo, thank you very much for uh, sending in the question as well. So, uh, so yes. thanks to Xander yes. and Rococo. <laughs> uh, thank you to Xander. I mean, those are really interesting questions, and I want to check out yeah. his podcast. Yeah, it's uh, really as good. well. Yeah, he and yeah. Um, um, uh, a girl from the states. Uh, he's actually in China. And, um, oh, wow. yeah, and, uh, they do a fantastic paranormal podcast podcast. And I was really fortunate that he came up with a couple of really fantastic questions for you. And okay. oh, I'm excited. I'm going to check that out. Okay. So let's do the top three, the big three. So number oh. at number three, I don't know how you, yeah, you choose, it's like choosing your favorite child, I guess, for you with these guys. But, yeah. uh, number three, you've put in Celine Dion falling into you. Ah, yes. Okay, so another album that was um, written, uh, a lot of writing on this album by Diane Warren, who I mentioned uh, she wrote on Gloria Stefan's Destiny album. She, any ginormous American smash hit song in the 90s, um, she had a hand in, and she wrote a lot of this album. I think the title track, also the massive hits, Because You Loved Me, and it's all coming back to me now. And all by um, myself. That was all, big here. Uh, yeah, did, that was, yes. Is, yeah, that, on that, is yeah. that on that album? Uh, that is on that album. I'm not sure if that's written by Diane Warren. Oh, but that, it oh is, sorry. I okay. mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. But that is a massive, massive hit from that album. So funny because like all by myself and uh, it's all coming back to me now. Those songs are like six and seven minutes each, which is way too long for like a standard (laughs) pop song, but they just, people loved them so, so much. And this is Celine Dion sort of at her height. And um, right before she did the Titanic song. And it's funny because before this album, she did beauty and the beast. 
uh, the soundtrack uh, song. And then she did Because You Love Me, which is from a movie that was released here, uh, I think called Up Close and Personal. And It's All Coming Back to Me Now is was also on a movie soundtrack. So when they offered for her to do the Titanic song, she didn't want to do it because she had done so many soundtracks that she was like, oh, I don't want to be, you know, the soundtrack girl. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. of course, she did do it. And it was a, a massive, massive hit for her. Um, but I've heard that she she wasn't even crazy about the song. Oh, um, OK. And and so the version that you hear is her demo. She only recorded it once and it was so good oh, damn. that James <laughs> Horner. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I imagine being that talented. <laughs> James Horner, who did the music for Titanic um, and did that song with her. He uh, he just kept the demo because it was that good. And of course, now that she's seen the film, she loves loved the film and yeah. and of course loves the song that made her a zillionaire, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, so she had done a lot of soundtrack songs just on that one album falling into you. And it's a really good song. There's a lot of um, hidden gems and sort of the B sides that weren't released. There's a song called seduces me that I love. There's like a fun uh, song called declaration of love. That's really uh, fun. And then um, there's a song called fly. That's very touching that she dedicated to her niece who died of um, pediatric cancer. So okay. it really is like a well-rounded, very good album. That's that's fantastic. And look, you're a wealth of knowledge, obviously, with all this, which is it's it's great. I'm learning a lot. And uh It is uh it's ridiculous, truly, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> look, there's one thing I, oh, excuse me. There's one thing I do want to ask though. Uh in in terms of the top ten, no room for Christina Aguilera? Well <laughs> I think her debut album was ninety nine. Yeah. And I don't think her debut album was her best. It's a great pop effort. We okay. get Genie in a Bottle, we get Come On Over. Um, but I think her her peak, I think, is really her second album, which is stripped, and we get um dirty Dude. and like yeah. all can't hold me down and all those fun, like sort of raunchy Christina songs. Yeah. We also get like really sort of introspective songs like Fighter, which is like her take on rock and roll, which is great. And we get, um, uh, there's a song that she did with Alicia Keys called impossible, which I think Christina has a true love for R and B and soul music. And I think through the trajectory of her career, she's tried to keep up with trends and done pop and done dance and all of this, but her voice is so soulful and she really has a true love for, you know, at a James and soul music, she should really have stuck in that vein because she's yeah. great at it. Yeah. Um, and tr stop trying to chase what is commercial at any given moment. So to me, stripped is like her, her penultimate album. So that, that didn't, that was 2002. So it yeah. narrowly missed it. <laughs> well, I'm not going to question you. So <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're up to number two. Number two is Diana Ross. Take me higher. Ah, Take Me Higher. That is 95. so Take Me Higher is like my theme song. It is such a joyful song. It's a house song. And I love that album. The first time I ever saw Diana Ross in concert, I was like 10 years old and she opened her show with Take Me Higher. And it's so raucous and bombastic and just it's just 
full out energy. It's so much fun. I recommend it to anyone. I still put it on pride playlist today and it, it holds its own with, you know, anyone you can think of from Ariana Grande to Cardi B to, you know, whoever we're listening to of the day, that yeah. song still holds its own. So I love that song. And that album is a true, um, there's a tiny bit of every genre that Diana's good at. She really throughout her career has done a little bit of every genre. And so on that album, you have house music, you have a little bit of disco. She covers, I will survive. You have a lot of really deep R and B stuff. Like, um, if you're not going to love me, right. Which is a huge, great cut on the album. Um, don't stop, which is sort of a sensual R and B cut. There's some great adult contemporary with songs like voice of the heart and gone. And then there's some more spiritual stuff like, let somebody know and only love can conquer all. And then there's some beautiful jazz as well with songs like, um, I never loved a man before and the bitterly sad. I thought that we were still in love, which sort of ends the album. So she really within like 11 songs touches on every genre that she's really just excelled at. Yeah. And so I think that's one of her ultimate albums. And in a career that started in, you know, the sixties with the Supremes and the 12 number ones that they had in the, I think it was like seven years that they were together, um, to the disco smashes like upside down and I'm coming out and the boss and the ballads like touch me in the morning and endless love to, to come out still with an album that holds its own to those standards when she was, I think 55 years old, um, you know, yeah. Um, I'm sorry. She was 51. She was 51. Um, but to be that late in your career and still putting out product that is worthwhile and an art, an artistic achievement, um, and it stands the test of time. Like those songs are still good. Uh, R and B and pop songs. I think that's really an achievement. So that's, I think my favorite Diana Ross album. Well, like I'm prone to say, good is good, no matter what the time frame. And some, some things are popular in certain times, but if it's good music, it's going to last, you know, stand the test of time. And obviously Diana Ross has and does. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's interesting because some of the guys that, um, I, I said earlier, I love to make podcast, uh, playlists. Some of the guys on my podcast, the younger guys, Lucas and Sterling, I made a playlist for them called, um, I don't know if we can swear on your podcast. Of course you can. Um, so, uh, it's called fuck off, fuck boys. And it's just <laughs> about guys that like are not worth your time. Yeah. And it's like a two hour playlist of like scorned lover songs, <sighs> essentially from divas. And it's funny because they're in their early twenties and don't know much from, you know, Diana Ross, but. Yeah. I put if you're not gonna love me right on there from that album Take Me Higher and they love it. Like it's on there right next to um, you know, everyone from today and they're like, This song is such a jam and so, you know, twenty five years later it's still um holding the test of time. Very good. Yeah. Okay. So number one, the big number one, uh and I guess they don't get much bigger than this person as well. Whitney Houston, my love is your love. Ah, yes. Um, definitely one of my favorite albums of all time. Uh, My Love Is Your Love came out in 1998 and Whitney had so many hits. I mean, The Bodyguard had already been out, Waiting to Exhale, Preacher's Wife. 
But her last studio album was in 1991 with I'm Your Baby Tonight. And then she just got into movies and really got away from recording studio albums. So all the music we have from Whitney in the mid-90s is for a soundtrack that's tied to a movie and themed to that movie. And she, you know, kind of got into this ballad moment. And, you know, with with Waiting to Exhale, those were ballads. Preacher's Wife was a lot of gospel music. and again, adult contemporary ballads, like I Believe in You and Me. So she had really moved into that adult contemporary track um, where sort of Celine and Gloria were Mariah to a certain extent. And she wasn't necessarily, you know, she was extremely accomplished, definitely one of the greatest of all time, even at that point from the bodyguard, but she wasn't like hip. (laughs) She wasn't cool, you know? And so- Wasn't gospel a a really big influence for her? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And she got to do a whole album of that really with the preacher's wife. And that was the album that preceded this. And so she, she was extremely accomplished, but I think that she was, she was only in her mid thirties at this time. So she wasn't really very old yet, but she had already done so, so much that it was almost as if she had already peaked really with the bodyguard. And so it was like, okay, well, you know, is Whitney still viable on the radio? Does she still have something to offer? And uh, Clive Davis, who is, you know, heiress to records and discovered Whitney was still running her career. They set out to do a greatest hits because she had never had a greatest hits album out. And they were going to just record a few songs for the greatest hits. And when they put out to have songwriters submit, because Whitney didn't write any of her music. So when they sub- they asked artists to submit songs to just be bonus tracks, essentially, on this greatest hits collection, yeah. they got so many songs that they had uh, more than an album's worth to choose from. So the album was recorded really fast. It was done in six weeks. And it has some of the best artists of the 1990s as writers and collaborators on that album. And it made for one of the greatest albums of her career. Um, so on that album, you have Babyface, you have Lauren Hill, you have Wyclef Jean, um, you have Missy Elliott. So some of the real oh. profound artists and collaborators of the 90s are all right there on that album. Yeah. And it made her hip again. It made uh, her cool again yep. with songs like you know, Heartbreak Hotel, My Love Is Your Love, It's Not Right, But It's Okay, um, which was like a mid-tempo R&B that, um, you know, Chris Cox and from the Thunderpuss collaboration remixed into this club banger that just was a massive hit here in the U.S. in the summer of 99. So that ended up being like a huge, huge era for her. And I think one of the, really one of the coolest eras of her career um, as an R&B artist. I think that it's definitely, definitely my favorite. And again, what I loved about Take Me Higher from Diana Ross, Whitney sort of does here. You get a little bit of everything that she's great at on this album. You get the adult contemporary, the inspirational bits, um, the R&B bits. So it's really a little bit of hip hop. It's really, really a great album. Whitney Houston, unbelievable voice and such a tragic end, unfortunately. But uh, at least we, you know, she has a legacy that uh, will stand the test of time in terms of good music, which is fantastic. Yeah. And I have to say, too, I'll say about Whitney is I actually think she is the greatest voice we've ever had and may ever have. I don't know that we'll ever have somebody that 
um, will be as great a singer as Whitney Houston. And that is, uh, you know, withstanding my personal affection and relationships with artists like Gloria Stefan and Diana Ross. I think that she just was the greatest at using her instrument because there's tons of other amazing vocalists. Um, you know, Adele, Beyonce, um, uh, Christina Aguilera, who you mentioned, uh, Jennifer Hudson, so many people that could do maybe technically what Whitney could do as far as like, what notes can you hit and Mm. what is the power of your belt? Whitney, her musicianship was knowing what exactly to do with that instrument to make you feel something and and the way she knew how to use it and also the tonality of her voice was very unique and a gift and the way that she could go from her falsetto to her mix to her uh lower range just all in one breath yeah she was really really incredible i mean um like we talk about olympic athletes she was like an athlete of 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 voice yeah um So I don't know that we'll ever see anyone that can use their instrument the way she did. She was really, really incredible and definitely so tragic, uh, the circumstances that we lost her. Mm. All right. Well, there we go. That's your 10. I'll recount the 10 for everybody. So it's uh, number 10, Brandy, Never Say Never. Number nine, Tony Braxton, Secrets. Shania Twain at eight, who's come on over. Seven is Madonna, Ray of Light. Number six is Janet Jackson, Velvet Row. Mariah Carey at five with Butterfly. Gloria Stefan with Destiny at four. Three is Celine Dion, Falling Into You. Number two is Diana Ross, Take Me Higher. And number one, Whitney Houston, My Love Is Your Love. I'm not going to question anything about any of those. Your uh, knowledge (laughs) is unparalleled. And uh, I have really had a fantastic time um, going through the list with you because I've I've learned so much as well, which is, it's been great. I've really enjoyed it. So thank you again for for coming on the show and agreeing to do this. And we finally got to uh, catch up. Uh, It's taken a a little while since last year, but that's, that's great. It's made it all that more rewarding once we did finally catch up. Yes, absolutely. I'm so thankful to you, Darren, for having me on on your show. I think it's really a cool concept that you've got going here. And I hope I wasn't too long winded about my divas. I no, want you to get me started. Fine. It's hard to. Yeah, that's that's. <laughs> you can edit me down if you need to, but no. <laughs> I really had a good time uh, chatting sure. with you. And in these COVID times, there's not much to uh, to do here in New York. So this is a very fun way to spend an evening. So I'm very grateful to you. All right, not a problem. Well, if you want to let everybody know, well, actually, before we do that, I do want to, I, yeah. I have a question I like to ask of everybody. What are you listening to, reading or watching at the moment that has your interest? Because you are, I guess, in a bit of lockdown still. Uh, you've got plenty mm-hmm. of free time on your hands. Uh, what's taking your fancy at the moment? Oh, my goodness. So at the moment, some of my favorite shows that I've watched during quarantine, I love The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Um so funny. I loved on Apple TV, there's one called The Morning Show with Jennifer Aniston. And it's sort of about like morning show culture. It's a drama. It's kind of about the Me Too movement. Oh, okay. Um, and that's that's brilliant. I loved that. Of course, Shit's Creek, I'm like rewatching and rewatching because it just it still makes me laugh every time. Yeah. Um, so those are sort of the TV picks that I uh, am loving. And then above and beyond that, I'm trying to think, what am I listening, listening to right now? Yeah. yeah um, reading, uh, 
I'm going to come back to reading because I have to get the exact author's name. I'm going to grab the book, literally. Um, but listening to, I, I've i already started curating my Pride playlist for uh, this oh, upcoming year. Yep. I take about six months. So I'm listening to a lot of like divas and remixes. Cool. Um, As expected. So Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but reading, where where is this book that I just read? Let's see. Oh, here it is. Okay. I just read a book over the summer called Swimming in the Dark. Um, and it's by Thomas, uh, And it's about sort of a love story that takes place in Poland, like in, um, you know, times gone by in the political climate there. So I loved that. So highly recommend that. Uh, And then uh, also just reading Mariah Carey's memoir, (laughs) the meaning of Mariah Carey, (laughs) Uh, you know, always, you know, so dramatic. Uh, She's, she's, I loved also for anybody that might be more interested in divas. There's also two other books. There's this uh, book called that's what friends are for. And it's written by a friend of mine called Patrick Riley, who, um, worked on the Oprah show. He's been a guest on my podcast and he's had an opportunity to meet and work with a lot of great divas. And he tells his personal stories about the divas that influence him and that he's gotten to work with in his career. And that's an incredible book. Okay. And then a book called a song for you by Robin Crawford, which is about um, it's one of, it's Whitney's, uh, best friend growing up and through her career. And it's about sort of their friendship and also their romance in okay. the early part of, uh, Whitney's life as well. So that's very, very interesting. So those are my reads, my watches. And your yeah. listens. Fantastic. That, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's great. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, if you want to let everybody know where they can reach you, where they can find the show and anything else that you're working on at the moment, feel free to plug away right now. Oh, amazing. Okay. So everyone can find me on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Sean, S-E-A-N-L show. Um, very excited to share everything there. I've uh, started live tweeting RuPaul's Drag Race on a weekly basis, so I'm doing that. (laughs) Um, And then uh, on Instagram, uh, that's where I let you know all about my podcasts and my upcoming shows. Um, And the link in my bio will take you to my podcast, which can be found on Spotify, Apple, um, many other podcast platforms and, uh, anchor as well. That's where I host, uh, all of my files. So anchor.fm slash Sean L show will take you there as well. So yeah, that's where, that's where I am. I hope people will check out the podcasts and learn more about my musical tastes and, uh, and funny gay sex stories. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, uh, as I said, it's an eye opener to me, but it's been very enjoyable to listen to your show and uh, so a lot glad. of fun. Thank you again for coming on. It's been uh, an absolute pleasure. You look after yourself. Stay safe in that city of yours at the moment. And hopefully uh, we can continue to chat on the the socials uh, as we go forward. I will look forward to that, Darren. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, mate. You have a good day. Bye. (laughs) You too. Bye-bye. And that's a wrap. I told you it was a fun one. And if you're in any doubt on whether Sean knew his stuff when it came to the Divas, then you're not anymore. He has a wealth of knowledge on the topic, and I was pleasantly surprised how interesting he made the discussion for me. I was a little apprehensive when I saw the topic he chose, but it ended up being one of my favorite countdowns. And don't forget to check out Sean's Spotify playlist. I'll put the link in the show notes. 
As usual, please subscribe to the show if you can or tell someone else about the show that you think might be interested. Also, let me know what I can do to make the show better. As I said last week, I'm all ears and ready and willing to adapt and improve. There is a Patreon and a Buy Me A Coffee page so you can support me there if you're able. However, I'd just love to have more people listen and for you to let me know what you would like to hear, either from the interview shows or from the review and recommend shows I also offer here in the same feed every other week. Thanks again for listening, and I'll chat at you again next week.